few years ago, the Village Church, pastored by Matt Chandler, did a video on the history of their church going all the way back to Jesus. So I snagged it and used it up to the point where our church began. I think you'll enjoy this if you haven't seen it already. In Jerusalem, AD 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. And out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. In AD 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon, and the enraged crowd stoned him, making him the first Christian martyr. Around AD 34, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians, and Saul became Paul. In AD 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the Apostle James and had Peter arrested. But an angel rescued Peter, leading him out of the prison. As the believers were scattered because of persecution, the center of operations for Christianity turned from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. On his final missionary journey, Paul traveled through Galatia, Phrygia, and Ephesus, encouraging the disciples in the cities. He then spent three months in Greece before traveling to Jerusalem, where he was arrested. Paul was then sent to Rome for trial, but the ship wrecked on the island of Malta. When he finally arrived in Rome, he lived there for two years before Nero ordered his beheading. And after 28 chapters, the story of Acts came to an end. Yet the story of the gospel didn't stop there. Out of joy, the church multiplied. In AD 80, Christianity spread further to the countries of France and Tunisia. 20 years later, the first Christians were reported in Algeria and Sri Lanka. By AD 150, the gospel reached Portugal and Morocco. Christianity found its way to Austria in AD 174, followed by Switzerland and Belgium. In AD 328, the gospel reached Ethiopia. Almost 200 years later, Pope Gregory I sent Augustine of Canterbury and a team of missionaries to present-day England. And within the first year, they baptized 10,000 people. In AD 635, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China. In AD 740, Irish monks brought the gospel to Iceland. But it wasn't until AD 900 that missionaries reached the country of Norway. Out of joy, the church multiplied. By 1200, the Bible was available in 22 languages. In 1491, missionaries arrived in the African Congo with the first church located in Angola. A few years later, Kenya reported its first known Christians. Meanwhile, in Spain, Pope Alexander VI wanted to send Catholic missions to the New World. As a result, Christopher Columbus took priests with him on his second journey to the Americas. In 1531, Franciscan Juan de Padilla started his mission work in Mexico City. By 1550, John Calvin sent French Protestants to reach the people of Brazil. 
1640, Jesuit missionaries finally reached the Caribbean, landing on the island of Martinique. Out of joy, the church multiplied. The early 1700s saw the rise of the Great Awakening in America, where both George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards stirred revival throughout the colonies. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention formed in Augusta, Georgia, and decided to take the gospel out west. Thirteen families settled on the Texas Plains, establishing Holford Prairie Church. In 1937, the Baptists had multiplied into hundreds of churches by then across Texas. There was a church formed in North Grand Prairie, Texas. Seventeen people huddled in a little 15 by 25 building in a place called the Shady Grove Cemetery. And First Baptist Church of Shady Grove was formed. Later it became known as Shady Grove Baptist Church. Here's a little congregation. That same year, having received some land donated for a building, the men of the church are leveling land to build on where their church was built. Their history said that the men leveled the land and the women spread out lunch. Over the years, their building came to look like this. On March 10th, 1974, after several pastors from their beginning, Pastor Olin Griffin became their pastor. A new pastor had pastored before at First Baptist Church in Johnson City. He wore a cross around his neck. He loved Jesus. And through his leadership, they began to have some late night prayer meetings. Some gifts of the Spirit began to operate. And it wasn't long till they were invited to leave the Dallas Association that they were part of. On December 18, 1974, that wonderful little building burned down. Out of the ashes and through the leadership of Pastor Olin Griffin, the congregation determined not to disband but to move forward. Spring of 1975, having been ousted from the state district that their church was part of, Shady Grove Baptist Church simply became known as Shady Grove. This is a picture of their second building. This is the building they were in when Yvette and I joined them in 1987. Come a long ways from there to here, right? What a blessing. This is the inside of the building. It was in April of 1987. My wife and I were sitting on the back row. We were visiting them for the second time. And I turned to a vet and I said, this feels like home. It was kind of like the word home was just on my heart. Just kind of there, home, the stamp there. And they were singing a new song. I still remember to this day. It came to an end. Pastor Olin stepped up to the microphone and pointed at the back row of the balcony, right where we were sitting, and said, your home, welcome home. That began glorious days in that church. It was like a school of worship and a school of the word, a wonderful blending of the two. In 1990, a group in Granbury, Texas, had been praying about being a church, and towards the end of that year, Shady Grove Church agreed to help them. They had their first public meeting at Ken and Barbara Smith's house. Yes, this church began in a Ken and Barbie house at 788 Hidden Valley in Western Hills Plaza. The house is still there to this day. Here they are on their second Sunday to meet together as a congregation. From there began a relationship that connected the two churches, the big church and the baby church. We were so blessed to be connected with them. So 11 years later, this place was built 
And it's our ninth location, but this one's ours, and it's paid for. Can you give the Lord some praise? Amen. How many generations, church members, does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> Only one if Ray DeHart is in the house. <laughs> to our guest, he's teaching children today. He's 6'10", has to duck every time he enters a door. How many Methodists does it take to change a church light bulb? Takes three. One to change a bulb, two to serve refreshments. How many Baptists takes four? One to change the bulb and the rest to complain that it was a woman. <laughs> How many Calvinists? It takes one, but we have to determine who was predestined to change it. <laughs> How many Charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? All of them. One to change the bulb, the rest to bind the powers of darkness. Let me offend everybody today. <laughs> How many liberal churches does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but let's take a while. Let's form two study groups, one to study alternative forms of light, and the other to study whether or not changing this light bulb will offend anyone. How many house church members does it take to change a bulb? All of them. One to change a bulb, and the rest to complain about... How many churches waste money on too many light bulbs? <laughs> Did I leave anybody out? Yeah. Give me one. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Oh, only one, but there's no rush. We have plenty of candles. <laughs> but, uh, give me two more. <laughs> Who? Church of Christ, only one, but let's make sure he's baptized. Who? Lutheran? <laughs> Change? I better stop. I better stop. Matthew 16 is the first place the word church is used in the New Testament, and it comes from the lips of our Savior. The Lumo Project has filmed it in the original language with a narrator reading in our language. Here we go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So the scene opens with a question of his identity. Who do people say that I am? And they all got it wrong except for his followers. They all thought he was an Old Testament prophet come back from the dead. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, verse 17 of Matthew 16, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, son of John, Simon Johnson, literally, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. You didn't learn this from the synagogue. You didn't learn this from your parents. You didn't learn this from a brilliant scholar, the Father Revealed to you who I am. And I say to you that you are Peter. Now keep in mind, his name was Simon, but when the Lord met him, he changed his name to Peter. In Aramaic, you see this, I think, in, in another one of the Gospels, he called him Cephas, which means a stone. I say that you are Peter. In the Greek language, you use the word Petros, which means a rock, a stone. And on this rock, Petra, which is a larger rock, I will build my church. What is this rock? the fact he's the Messiah, who he is, and the fact the Father opens our eyes to who he is. Who's had their eyes open to know who Jesus is? That's why you're here. That's what anchors you into the Christian faith, is knowing who Jesus is because God has opened your eyes. Maybe a brilliant apologist witnessed to you, but he did not argue you into the kingdom of God. The Lord opened your eyes. This is how the church is born. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now that's New King James. The Old King James says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this is often equated with the kingdom of darkness. Who knows that's true? Because that's ultimately Satan's destination. But he, contrary to the famous poem, is not the gatekeeper of hell. He wasn't in hell when he wasn't in Hades, wasn't in the grave when Jesus went there and gained back the authority that he has took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. There wasn't some demon, contrary to the popular Christian music video, holding on to keys that Jesus snatched them out of. It's a spiritual principle of authority. The Bible says... The Lord is Lord of heaven and earth. Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. But Satan is the prince and power of the air. His time is coming, his time is short, and he knows it, but he's not in hell. So what does this mean? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It means the devil won't have any victory over us. It, that's not what it means. It's true the devil won't have victory over us, but it means the church will not die. Amen. The grave will not overcome us. You can try to wipe us out, and it's like that little game, you know, where they, the, uh, yes, whack-a-mole. <laughs> whack us here, we'll pop up here. 
the gospel is alive and well on planet earth. I don't care what the skeptics say. I don't care what the professors with more degrees than a thermometer have to say. Jesus is Lord. Deal with it. And one day every knee will bow. You're not going to take a knee. You're going to take both knees unless you just have one knee. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's true. And we have authority. Whatever you bind on earth, it's legal language, binding and loosing. There's a thing called a legal binder, right? Bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. God will back us up. He's given us authority. Loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is the church, universal. Everywhere in time and space, historical and geographical. Can you say universal? universal. Can we say Catholic? Catholic? That's what the word Catholic means. There's a large denomination that's taken that name, and they are claiming they are that church. But the fact remains, the Lord relates to his church in two ways. He relates to his church, universal, everywhere in time and space, into the ages to come. One church, one bride, one body, one people, one Lord and Father of all. That's us. We are part of that one church. But he also relates to us as local churches, as you're going to see today. So he sees us universally. So what is a local church? A local church is supposed to be an expression of the one church. So there's many local churches in many different localities, specific places in time and space. We're not everywhere as a local church. We have influence beyond our region, but we are not everywhere. The problems the church is having in Hawaii, we don't have, but we can help by giving them support. The problems the church in Alaska is having isn't our problem, but we can help by sending them coats in the wintertime. Who could use some winter right now? So that's the first time the Lord uses the word church. The second time he uses the word church is in Matthew 18, and this can only be applied to a local setting. Watch this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We're talking about dealing with offenses. If someone offends you or sins against you, go and deal with him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. Your relationships have been restored. But if he will not hear you, if the conversation doesn't go well, take one or two that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And the purpose is reconciliation. Sometimes with me as a leader, people skip step one and go to step two. I never scold and say, why aren't we doing step one? We're at step two, let's do it. I just as soon have a witness anyway. Right? And uh, the purpose is not for the division to be prolonged, but let's, let's cut this thing short. Matthew 18, 17. And if he refuses to hear them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So are we called to love heathens and tax collectors? Yes. So what does this mean? It means if they're divisive and they refuse to repent, just make room for Jesus in the relationship 
and relate to them with the same honor you give to unbelievers, but do not let them be uh, an influence in your life because they'll lead you astray. So the key verse there, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, if this is happening in Alaska, what do we have to do with it? Nothing. If this is happening in Florida, what do we have to do with it? What good would it do for someone to come into our church? Hey, you all need to know that somebody at First Church Miami is causing problems and they need to be treated as a heathen and a tax collector. That does no good. This can only be applied in the local setting. And this is our Lord speaking of a local church situation. He's training his disciples on how to lead people, how to deal with it. And so he proclaimed himself the Lord and builder of the church in Matthew 16. And here he's telling them how to function within a local church. The word church comes from the word ecclesia, which literally means a calling out. Kaleo is to call. Ek is from or out. So when you call a special meeting, a school board meeting is called, that is an ecclesia, a calling out. It's not a church, though. It's a meeting, a congregation, a popular assembly. It can be what we call in our day a church. The Greeks use the word when referring to a gathering of citizens to discuss state affairs. So when there's a national assembly, that is an ecclesia, a meeting called that people are summoned to come to. In Hebrew, which was translated into Greek by the Septuagint during the days of the Babylonian uh, exile, the Greek Old Testament used the word for a gathering of Israel summoned for specific purpose or a gathering viewed as representing the whole nation. So, Ecclesia is a church, but the word in general is not an out-of-ordinary word in the Greek language that the Lord used. But yet, he distinguished it from secular ecclesias. He says, I will build my assembly. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church. So it's his church, universal. And local churches, he also relates to us at that level under his authority. Now, where do denominations fit in? We kind of made fun of all of ourselves a while ago with the light bulb jokes. They're a way for us to organize, but trust me, the Lord relates to local churches directly, and no denomination has a right to lord it over its denominations. I'm sorry, that's just not true. During the days of the Apostolic Fathers, post-first century, one of them made this bonehead statement, where the bishop is is where the church is. That's not true. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in this same passage, I am in the midst. So you can be an ecclesia and be two people. It could be a long-term ecclesia or an ecclesia that springs up on the spot. So local churches come and go. It's my desire, hence the name, that we last beyond one generation. But I really want us to know the kingdom of God is what it's all about. The universal church is what we're seeking to express and represent. And being the Lord's assembly, the Lord's house, the Lord's people, his family. You get that? I think we're all on the same page. 
So today I'd like to talk about honoring the local church. Several ways we can honor the local church. We honor the local church by honoring the builder of his church. We get an amen. On this rock, the revelation of who I am, on this Petra, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It will not die. It's going to survive. We may suffer. He said in the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. If we overcome, the Lord will help us to overcome. We don't quit. We don't fade out. We'll be rewarded. Revelation 2.7, the Lord is speaking here in seven places, seven letters dictated to the Apostle John that are to be given to seven specific local churches at that time. And all of seven letters, even though they were unique for each situation, each local church that was in Asia, part of the world we know as Turkey, ends with this statement, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what is the Spirit saying to the churches in our hour? We must distinguish that and take heed to that. Well, God didn't tell us that at generations, but is he telling us that through other churches? We need to learn from others. You see that? He's building a body globally in time and space, history and geography, but he's building a body uniquely in specific locations and specific times. So if you have an ear, who has an ear? We're to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I'm going to be pretty strong today, and it's not retaliating against anything going on with generations, church. But it's the winds of doctrine that are blowing on out there that are anti-local church. Like, I don't believe in organized religion. Well, apparently the Lord does. He's building a church. He's giving gifts to men. The sevenfold ministry is still in operation. The Lord who gives gifts to men, that's the first gift. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. There's sevenfold ministry, starting with Jesus, ending with the saints, being equipped for ministry. The apostles equip us to be more apostolic, where we can go where no man has gone before and leave an influence behind for the Lord, to be more evangelistic, to reach the lost with the gospel, more pastoral, to care of people in their needs, more prophetic, to hear the Lord and help distinguish matters and not get caught up in the grayness that's going on out there in the world. Greg and I were talking earlier, Elder Greg, um, it seems the world views love as, permissive, as permissiveness. Love. If you love me, you'll affirm everything I want to do with my life. Love does not affirm someone ruining their life. If your baby wants to run and play out in the street, oh, that's so brave of you, little baby. That is awesome. That's not love. That's permissiveness. Love takes a stand for what is right. Love takes a stand to keep people from ruining their lives. So, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We honor the builder of the church, his church. It's Jesus' church, is it not? Some make a big deal about having the Lord's name on the doorway of the church. It's great. It's Christ-honoring. But the universal church takes that name. 
We all are in time and space the church of God, the church of Christ, the church of Jesus, the church of the Lord, the Lord's house, whatever you want to call it. But our distinct localities lend itself to other things. Jesus said to the church in Smyrna, he didn't call it any other name, to the church in Thyatira, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Laodicea. He distinguished them by their localities. All right, moving right along, we want to honor the builder of his church. We honor the local church by honoring, assembling together often. If you want to honor the local church, you got to gather with us annoying folks. There are mega churches right now lowering their standards for active membership to now they say you can be considered an active member if you gather together publicly 1.6 times a month. That's active membership. Are you kidding me? I know it's hard in the summertime to talk about things like this because all sorts of things are going on. But that cannot be an active member over the course of a year attending a local church assembly, ecclesia, 1.6 times a month. No wonder biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high in the American church. Not talk to anyone here. This isn't Generations Church thing. This is American church thing. Acts 2.42, the church began regularly meeting. The new believers, 3,000 were saved. They were baptized. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. You know what that is? That's discipleship, friendship, and the teachings from the Word. And the breaking of bread, that's communion, as well as having meals together, maybe even birthday cake. And prayers, that's sharing in our needs. Wherever two of you will agree concerning anything in my name, it will be done by my Father in heaven. That's how the early church did it. They continued steadfastly. Steadfastly. And it's not just in the four walls of a church building. It's being active in an assembly, active in Christian community. So verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the church assembled Daily. Now, these people in this church, 3,000 of them, were from other countries. And eventually, they were going to have to go back. So there was daily discipleship happening, daily gathering, daily prayers, daily meals. And they even had to live communally till persecution arose. The communal living ended because they all went back to their other communities where they had come from other countries. In Acts 20, Paul tells the leaders of the church from Ephesus, a church that he had planted earlier, he reminded them that I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So can we say public? Can we say private? Our Christian faith needs to involve gathering together publicly and privately as often as you can. If you have to work all the time, surely you can form a Bible study or a prayer time with another brother for fellowship or sister during a lunch break once a week. You can do it. You're called to do it. Well, I'm not a pastor. Let me tell you, you're called into ministry. Amen. 
Some people go to college and come out with no faith, taught a bunch of unbelief. If you're a believer and you're reading your Bible and you're learning some things, then get with somebody and talk about what you learned today. Man, I found this scripture today. Can you believe it says this? All right, rattling somebody's cage. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's the purpose of our meeting. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Who believes the day of judgment is coming? Can you, can, can you smell the heat? Are we getting an appetizer? Are we getting reminders every time we step outside the door in the summertime? If the day is coming, how much more important is this? That we gather together often and not forsake assembling ourselves together. Now, this is more than gathering. This is assembling. I have in my hand a solar-powered watch, and it runs pretty good. Occasionally, it gets off one or two minutes. I could take this apart and put all the parts in a bag, and you would have a gathering, but you would not have an assembly. This is a timely word for somebody. I'm talking about more than going to a church meeting or Sunday morning. I'm talking about our life. How can I be assembled? Encourage each other. Stir up love. Help meet needs. Do good works. Why? We are the church. And next time you say the church ought to do something about this, go look in the mirror. May the Lord's telling you to do something. I'm telling you, we will never reach the world if we don't get our hands dirty. I'll just write a check. I don't think we'll be rewarded for that. It's getting involved in the Lord's work. You're more than the Lord's paymaster. There are some extreme prosperity preachers out there preaching that. You're a kingdom provider. Just provide. Here's the thing. When I encourage others, I get encouraged myself. And if the church is just a place to give your money... Who's going to encourage you? Eventually, you're going to get discouraged and no one's around because you have no relationships because you've been God's fly-by-night church attender. We honor the local church by honoring one another. Can we say it together? We, we are the church. We are the local church in Granbury called Generations. And next time someone tells you Granbury has too many churches. Just remind them, First Baptist Church, years ago, had a door-to-door survey on Sunday afternoons. And over a period of weeks, 18% of the doors they knocked on had people living in it that claimed to go to church. Now we've grown. We've got some bigger churches. But the growth has surpassed the growth of the churches. I think those numbers aren't much different. So we need more churches, need more home fellowships, need more house churches, need more big churches, need more public churches, more private churches, more saints in ministry. We need it. Why? The fields are white. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers oftentimes are full. So it's not about our seeding capacity as much as it is about our sending capacity. May the Lord use us mightily to be a light for him. 
You and I are the church. We're called to be expressions of the church. Who's a member of the body of Christ? You know what a body is? In Greek, it's, a, it's the word soma. To get in the soma, you got to have the sozo. Sozo, sozo means salvation in every area of life. And the Lord does that. He saves us. He sozos us, if that's, that's bad Greek, but anyway. And when we're saved, when we're sozoed, we're made part of the soma, the body. And what is the body? Your body is an instrument used to express your life. How do we know you're alive? Your body's expressing your life. And as a believer, you'll never die, but your body will. And when your body dies, we have no awareness of your life anymore. We just have memories. You need a body to express life. And so it is Christ died, arose from the dead, expressed life through his resurrected body, and went to heaven and sent back the Holy Spirit to express his life through us, his body, the church, the ecclesia. Romans 12, 10 tells us how to do this. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. You know, there's around 70 commissions of one another in the New Testament. Be kind to one another. We see that affectionate to one another. Love one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Be patient with one another. Provide for one another. Help one another. Carry one another. It's all in that. That's our responsibility. This is written to a church in Rome. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a word that applies to us all that are part of the global church. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints. You see a need, help them. Sometimes it's a need for wisdom. And if someone comes bringing you wisdom, appreciate it. It's good. Given to hospitality. That means making people welcome. Not just at a public meeting place, but in your own home. Are you using your home in some capacity, if nothing else, to pray and study the Bible, but to help somebody? And maybe you hate your home, but you could be hospitable with someone at a local restaurant or a lobby in some hotel somewhere. Meet somebody and encourage them. Honoring one another. We are the church. This is how we honor the local church. 1 Corinthians 10.32 says, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. So next time you think about criticizing the church of God, Think of this verse. Who's married? All right, don't raise your hand for this one. Who appreciates the fact that someone may criticize your spouse? You don't like that. All right, what about before you were married? Would you appreciate the fact someone criticized your girlfriend or your boyfriend, your fiance? Would have appreciated that, right? Maybe they've seen a red flag and you need to listen to them. So if you are unmarried and Enough voices are speaking up. You better heed it. Amen? Randy and I one time told her brother, run! And he didn't do it. Eight years later, boy, he wished he'd listened to us. <laughs> In our case, we are the Lord's betrothed. One bride. 
The wedding hasn't happened yet. How does he feel when we criticize one another or when we criticize his people? Not do it. We don't have it all together. We don't always know how to do things right. But we're trying, amen? Amen. My son Zane, he's in his early 40s now, is quite a fisherman. Growing up, he fished me into the ground. When he left home, I haven't gone fishing since. I can't stand anymore. We fish so much. He loves it. He's great. He's teaching his girls to fish. And one day I took him to Squaw Creek back when you could fish there. Can you fish at Squaw Creek again? Okay. Well, there was a period of years you couldn't after 911. He caught a whopper. I mean, a big, I think it was a bass like this, big. And he reeled it in and he was trying to pull it off the hook the best he can. And he was kind of awkward. And this kid on the other side of the dock started yelling at him. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. (laughs) Meanwhile, he doesn't have a bass. But it gets my son so flustered, he wants to do it right. He wound up dropping the fish and it flip-flopped back in the water never to be seen again. And that is a metaphor for my life. Anytime I see someone doing something not right, I think again. Do I want to be like that kid? You're not doing it right. But should I look at it? Are they trying to do something right? Is their effort right? Right? Are they trying to do something I was raised in a denomination that criticized every other church in the town. And you know what? They have united in their name, but their most divided thing you can imagine because they criticize each other constantly too. I grew up around preachers that criticized other churches, other denominations, but then they would criticize one another if someone... So, word to the wise. Love the Lord's people. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Not to be in our lifestyle, being contentious. 11 verse 18. When you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. Yep. Read the Bible. The early churches, early local churches had big problems. This particular one had incest going on. Meanwhile, people are fighting each other over who baptized who. And Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of y'all because of the divisiveness. And so he wrote that letter as a word of correction. Thank God for the letter. Amen. Read it. It's written to us, to the church in Corinth and those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Along the lines of division, our text in Matthew 18, where the Lord used the word church The second time, it was how to deal with someone who has offended you. And I've seen some scenarios where a person is offended and they obey the word. But sometimes they're just too weak to do it. And if a person didn't offend intentionally, they think the monkey's off their back. But actually, the Lord put the monkey on both parties' backs. The offender and the offended. Here's the offender's back. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Well, pastor, why haven't you come to me yet? Because I'm clueless sometimes. (laughs) 
So if I've offended you, according to Matthew 18, you're supposed to come to me. But if I know I'm a, I've offended you, then I am to go to you. So we both have an assignment. This is a remedy for the divisions that could rise up in a local church. If you know someone is offended to you, go and reconcile. Be reconciled. And this is Jesus speaking to people who are living under the Old Testament. Now that we're under the new, how much more important is it for us? Honoring one another, we are the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says, let it be for edification of the church that you seek to excel. This church was using gifts of the Spirit for personal edification, and which is fine in private, but in public, he says, listen, it's about edification of the church. It's not about you exercising your gifts. And that passage is still important today. There are churches today screaming in tongues over the microphone. No interpreter. They're in the spirit. They're out of the book. We're to worship in spirit and in truth, are we not? So let it be for edification, the building up of the church that you seek to excel. Verse 33 of the same chapter. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Literally, the word, the author, is implied. So if you remove that, you still get what it said. For God is not of confusion. God is not confusing, but he brings peace. And all the churches of the saints need to receive that. We honor the local church by receiving one another as the church. You're sitting by a member of the body of Christ. You're sitting by a brother or sister. Well, he's my husband. He's your brother. In heaven, he will be your ex-husband because in heaven, there's no marriage. He's your brother. She's your sister. We receive one another. We are part of the church. We are part of the ecclesia, the assembly of the Lord. Maybe we're not doing it right, but we're doing it. Often I get people coming to me criticizing us I don't get threatened. I don't get argued. I said, bro, the fields are white, ready to harvest. Go show us how it's done. In fact, I had a friend write a book called Pastor, Get Out of the Way and Make Room for the Rest of Us. And I knew this guy. It was, it was a book blasting local churches. I knew this guy. He never did anything more than three to four months, and he would quit, 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 quit. How could a pastor give him authority if he's a quitter? If you're a quitter, if you're a church hopper, how will you ever get an authority and be able to function in your gifts? We're to know those who labor among us, yeah. right? We don't let strangers come in and shepherd the flock. We get to know each other and get on the same page with one another. We are the church. We are expressions of the church. So the brother asked me what I think of his book. Of his book. I said, well, brother, why don't you show us how it's done? He was sitting in the seat of the scornful not wanting to get his hands dirty, wanting things to do for him. Years earlier, when he tried to start a church, I did my best to help him, but he never went door to door. He criticized other churches. That does no good. And to this day, he's still scratching his head mad at the church. Meanwhile, look in the mirror, dude. They may not be doing it right, but at least they're doing something. Why don't you show us how it's done, and then we'll listen to you. 
You are the Christ, the son of the living God. We read this earlier. Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we've talked about the principle of knowing who the Lord is. The church is built upon that. But notice in his expression, he reiterates Simon's new name, his new identity. Simon means a hearer, relates to the reed that's blown about by the wind. But Peter means a rock, someone solid. A few verses later, Jesus is having to rebuke Peter. But he still gave him a new name. He related to him on the level of what he was destined to become. What is a healthy local church? A healthy local church is a local church that where the members relate to each other, not based on their past or even their present, but based on who they are destined to become. Yeah. You're not Simon, you're Petros. You're not an ex-con sitting somewhere in a church hoping nobody notices you. No, you're a brother and sister in Christ destined to become more evangelistic, more pastoral, more prophetic, more apostolic, a member of the body of Christ. That's how we are to relate to one another. Jesus also said in Matthew 10, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones just a cup of cold water to drink in the name of a disciple, most assuredly, I would tell you, he will in no way lose his reward. What in the world does that mean? If you receive a prophet as though he is a prophet, what is the prophet's reward? It is he's able to be prophetic around you. Jesus was the Messiah of the world, but he couldn't be very messianic in his own hometown. Why? They wouldn't receive him. So if we receive each other at the level of our past, guess what? We can never rise to the occasion and be all that God has called us to be. Have you ever been to a family reunion where they relate to you, relate to you as still the kid that messed his britches at the last one? <laughs> Going to family reunions is a humbling experience. I think it's good for us. They don't relate to each other through the eyes of the future. Their perceptions all skewed by the past or by what somebody said, somebody said, somebody said. But we are called to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. So if we relate to each other as being righteous, even though our past isn't righteous and our present isn't, as righteous as it needs to be, if we still relate to each other at a healthy level with respect and honor, guess what that does? That creates an environment to grow. If you relate to your children as losers, loser, and curse them out every Friday night, they have to live past that. But generally, it sometimes programs them and confirms what you said was true. You were right all along. Yes, your kid is a loser. You didn't receive them as righteous people. Who gives a cup of cold water to a kid as though they were a full-grown disciple will get a reward. Why? That kid is able to grow up into a healthy human being. There may be some wayward days, but if we continue to relate to them at the level God sees them based on the destiny he has for them, it creates a healthy child. 
Can I get an amen? amen? It creates a healthy church. We honor the local church by receiving one another as is chosen. So keep in mind, Peter was given a new name by the Lord, even though he wasn't perfect at the time. He has a revelation of the Lord being a stone and him being one. He said in 1 Peter 3, 4, coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones. The Lord is the stone, but we're also stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Did we offer some up today? Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are living stones. We might have been sticks. We might have been bricks. We might, might have been mud pies, but the Lord is making us a stone. We're not affirming sin, but we're affirming the call of God on your life. And you're called to live a life of overcoming the world's craziness. He goes on, verse 9 of 1 Peter 3. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. We read this last week. Who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We are chosen to give the Lord some praise. So you're sitting amongst chosen folks. Yep, you're chosen. And we need to receive each other as chosen. Your brother, your sister are very precious, worthy of respect and honor and help and strength. If someone wants to help you, let them. But don't create a scenario in your life where you're a leaner all the time and you're draining people. Don't do that. If a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. Another place says, and speaking to the church in the New Testament. Talking about honoring the local church. Maybe you've been hurt by a local church. And you form the opinion, I don't like organized religion. But the New Testament was written to local churches. Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. Romans written to the church in Rome. Thessalonica, letters to the Thessalonians, the people from there. Galatia, to the churches, plural, in Galatia. Revelation, written to seven specific local churches in Asia Minor. Timothy, written to a local church leader. Titus, written to a local church leader assigned to an island called Crete to ordain elders in all the churches. There wasn't any leaders yet. He was there. So instructions are given to him. It's all about local assemblies. If we all just hang out and do whatever we want, the church wouldn't last. We're to assemble together. That's what makes us who we are. It's a story. It's probably a parable of a guy that wasn't going to church much going to assemble together very much. And a pastor went to see him, and they had a log on the fire. This is back in the 1800s. And the pastor took the tongs and took one of the logs out of the fire and set it on the hearth. And towards the end of the conversation, you know, we miss you. You need to assemble with other believers, blah, blah, blah. 
He then said, why did the fire go out in that log? And the man said, well, you took it away from the other logs. He said, exactly. He put it back in and it lit right back up. Lord, I pray right now for anyone whose fire has gone out, either we dropped the wall or we didn't do something right. I pray, Lord, you'd heal their soul and you would help us to learn when we have a conversation if we need to. But Lord, the cares of life have a way of creeping in and taking over. Help us, Lord, to get a grip and become part of what you're doing in the earth. And Lord, if you're calling anyone here to another congregation, Lord, they have religious freedom. Our forefathers died to give us freedom. Lord, may their loyalty not keep them from pursuing your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let's worship the Lord again.
us online this is what you get at a live service oh yeah god bless you amen